Welcome to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson. God is in His very being and has always existed in a what you would call a triunity. You see, this is the unique doctrine of the Bible and specifically of the revelation that came with the New Covenant. This doctrine that we refer to as the doctrine of the Trinity. Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Genesis. Join us as Pastor Brian concludes his teaching on Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1, in a message titled, God's Nature. Now, here's Pastor Brian. In those other kinds of situations, though, he is there observing. He is there in judgment, in a sense, or or preparing for judgment. But there's nowhere that one could go. We are told in Hebrews that all things, there's nothing that's hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open before the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So, you know, the omnipresence of God, it's a double-edged sword, as well as the omniscience of God. If your thoughts are thoughts of love for God and wanting to do his will, his omniscience is great. If your thoughts are wicked thoughts, then, well, His omniscience is frightening because he knows everything you're thinking. His omnipresence is great if you're seeking him and if you're serving him, you have the guarantee that he's with you. Like Jesus said, lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. And that's a very comforting thing. But if you're not seeking the Lord, following the Lord, if you're rebelling against him, if you're living in sin, if you're thinking that you're getting away with something or you're thinking that you're doing something in secret, guess what? You're not. Because... The Lord is everywhere present. He is omnipresent. And then God is omnipotent. God is omnipotent, which means simply God is all-powerful. His might, his power, his strength are infinite. In Psalm 62, verse 11, we read, God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to the Lord. I love what is written in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 21 through 26. There we read these words, Have you not known? Have you not heard? Has it not been told you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. To whom then will you liken me? Or to whom shall... I be equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes on high and see who created these things, who brings out their hosts by number. He calls them all by name. By the greatness of his might and the strength of his power, not one of them is missing. He's talking about the heavenly host, the stars, the sun, the planets. And then have you not known, have you not heard the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. God is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And remember what Jesus said 
What a word. He said, all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That omnipotence, all of the might and the power of God resides in God the Son. And so these are some of the natural attributes of God. And as I hope you're seeing, these are not mere theological terms. These are truths. These are realities to be delved into, to be meditated on, to be understood more thoroughly, to be embraced, and to be benefited and blessed by. Oh, thank God he's not limited. There's nothing that's hard for the Lord. And you know, as we go through life, we face a lot of challenging things. And we have, of course, many times over stood up here and prayed for people who have come and the situation has been hopeless, the diagnosis is dim, the doctors have no answers, or the family is so devastated that it just seems an absolute impossibility that could ever be restored, or the financial situation has just gone beyond anything that we could ever deal with, or you name it, whatever the case. But when we come together and pray, we are praying to the omnipotent God, the God who has all power, the God who spoke the universe into existence. You know, we say that. We refer to that. Do we even have the slightest idea what that actually means? I mean, we can't speak anything into existence. God speaks the universe into existence. He just simply says, let there be a universe, and there was. And all things are held together by the word of his power presently. See, these are the things that we've got to know. These are the things that we've got to grow in. Because as I grow in these things, as I increase in my understanding of these things, then that eternal life that Jesus was talking about, it becomes more and more and more my experience right here on planet Earth. I want to go back to God's nature for just a moment. One thing that we didn't mention, but we need to mention here about God's nature We looked at the fact that he's incomprehensible. We looked at these other things, the fact that he is infinite and and so forth. But we need to talk just briefly about God's triune nature. God's triune nature. God is in his very being and has always existed in a, what you would call a triunity. You see, again, this is the unique doctrine of the Bible and specifically of the revelation that came with the new covenant. This doctrine that we refer to as the doctrine of the Trinity. God has always existed as more than one person. In fact, God exists as three persons, yet There is still one God. Now, this is something that is, to put it mildly, mind-boggling. 
This is something that, you know, you know, have you ever had those kinds of things? Like, like, for example, have you ever sat down and tried to imagine eternity? Have you ever tried to just think about forever? If you want to just kind of get your brain spinning, just, just do that for a while. And another one that'll get your brain spinning is the Trinity. You sit down and you, you try to get your head around this, and it is one of those things, it's just so, in, in so many ways, it's, you know, it's just beyond our ability to grasp. But, but this is what the Bible teaches. And the first time the name God appears in the Bible, the very passage that we are looking at tonight, in the beginning, God That Hebrew word is the word Elohim. Now, in Hebrew, the word El is the singular for God. Elohim is God plural. And this is fascinating that the very first appearance of the name of God or or this title for God in the scripture is Elohim. And as a matter of fact, this is the way, generally speaking, that God refers to himself in the Old Testament. Rather than using the singular or the dual, he uses this plural almost always. Out of the 3,062 times the word God appears in the King James Version Old Testament, 2,597 times it is translating the Hebrew word Elohim. This is the way God would present himself. And he does it right here in the very first verse of the Bible. So the very first mention of God gives us a hint into the plurality within the divine nature. Now, we would never say that Genesis 1-1 teaches that God is a trinity, but what we do see is that it opens the door for that because it teaches that there is a plurality within the divine nature. Now, if, I mean, maybe you could build a case, and, you know, you probably could, if the singular was used consistently, then you would have a hard time building a case for the plurality within the divine nature. But Elohim is by far the more frequent word that is used, as I just pointed out. So you see, in the very first verse of the Bible, we're already getting a hint into the nature of God. And this is going to come out more and more and more the further that we go in the history. Now, what the Bible brings to us is what you might call a a progressive revelation. You see, God starts off revealing himself in small ways, and with the passing of time, the revelation becomes clearer and clearer and clearer till we finally come to God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. But you see, it starts just with with this hint. 
Elohim. But even in Genesis, it won't be long before we are reading things like this. God is speaking. He says, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness. Or behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. Or come, let us go down and confuse their language. You see, it won't be long before we get to that. And again, another indication that there is a plurality. So when people today come along and they criticize the doctrine of the Trinity, they attribute it to an apostate Roman Catholic church or something like that, you know, as nicely as I can put it, a person like that doesn't really know what they're talking about. Because this doctrine began to be unfolded in the very beginning. In the beginning, Elohim created the heavens and the earth. Now, there's one other thing that we could touch on, but maybe we're running out of time. But maybe we're not, so I'll touch on it. <laughs> Real quickly. In, later on in the history, Moses, he writes in Deuteronomy 6.4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord is one. And it's interesting because Moses chooses a Hebrew word. He has a choice to choose a word that means one in the absolute sense with no possibility of a, a plurality, or he can choose a word that, that is a, a word that means a compound unity. It opens the door for a plurality. Guess which word he chooses? He chooses the word that opens the door for a plurality. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, and the Hebrew word is ekad, and it, and it is a word that, that means more than one that make one, and that same word appears, interestingly, right here in the first two chapters of Genesis, in chapter 1, verse 5, it, is, it appears in reference to the evening and the morning being the first day. And then in chapter 2, verse 24, it appears in reference to the man and the woman, and the two shall become one flesh. So you have evening, morning making one day. You have the two making one flesh. It's the same one that Moses uses when he declares, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. So you see, again, this plurality, this idea of a trinity that the Jewish people have rejected, that the Muslims reject, and the cultists reject. This is a doctrine that's found in the earliest part of the Revelation, right here in the book of Genesis. Now, how do we understand the Trinity? Real quickly. How do we understand the Trinity? Well, first of all, we have to understand that there are a lot of misconceptions out there about the Trinity. And even, you know, sometimes we'll try to give an illustration to help people understand the Trinity. We'll talk about an egg. You know, it has a shell and it has the white, and then it has the yolk, and, or we'll talk about, you know, water and ice and gas, H2O. You know, now, these things, you know, on a, on a very elementary level, they might be slightly helpful to just get somebody to have maybe some sort of a concept that it is possible. But really, if you, if you try to work those things out to the end, they, they don't work at all. As a matter of fact, there isn't really an illustration that does work. 
But there are a lot of mistaken ideas. Some people think that that there's not you know, three persons who are the one God. Rather, they think there's one God who manifests himself in three different ways. Sometimes he's the Father, sometimes he's the Son, sometimes he's the Holy Spirit. This is known as modalism. Modalism referring to God revealing himself in different modes. That's an incorrect view. There is also the idea that what we're talking about here are really three gods. That ends up with a polytheistic idea, polytheistic meaning multiple gods, and that's referred to as tritheism. So, you know, people in their effort to try to explain this end up contradicting what the biblical picture actually is. Now, in an effort to come up with an illustration, this is the best that I can come up with, and I'll tell you before we even mention it, that it's, it falls short and it doesn't take long before it breaks down. But think of humanity as an illustration. I like to use this illustration. There is one humanity, right? I mean, there's mankind, right? And in, in a sense, of course, you can say mankind is one. But today, there are over six billion distinct persons who are part of the one humanity, And so in a sense, likewise, you have somewhat of a similarity in that you have God who is one God, but yet he is made up of three distinct persons. But again, even the illustration from humanity doesn't really work because unlike us, who are in one sense one, but totally individual beings in another sense, I mean, that's how we are, right? I mean, we're one. We're all, we're all human, right? Are we? We're all human. So in that sense, we're all one. We're all part of, there's just one humanity. We're all part of that. But we are all individual beings as well. And so we're one, but yet in, in another sense, we're not one. But you see, those persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are not sharply individual like we are, but eternally of one heart, mind, and will. So, you know, in the end, you really do not have anything that corresponds to the biblical doctrine of the Trinity. You don't have anything in the world that really exactly corresponds to it. You know, in the end, I think what we see is what we would expect to see. If we believe that God is who we've been saying that he is, if we believe that God is incomprehensible, then at the end of the day, we're going to have to say, you know what? This is something that is just beyond us. I was debating some Muslims in Hyde Park at uh, Speaker's Corner some years ago. And they were mocking, you know, they, they very much mocked the idea of the Trinity. And, you know, one of the things that they will say is, you know, oh, it's one of those, you know, it's ridiculous. Nobody can understand it and so on. And, and I use that as, as a, a comeback to them. I said, well, it would stand to reason that if God is incomprehensible, we would not be able to understand it. You see, if you can figure out God, then your God is too small. 
And he or she or it is not the true God, the God that's revealed in the Bible. If you can figure out God, then you got the wrong God. Because our God, the biblical God, is incomprehensible. We cannot grasp this stuff. But you know, nowhere in the Bible does God say, understand this stuff thoroughly and completely. You know what the Lord calls us to do? He calls us to humbly embrace it. That's what we're called to do. Now, in closing, two things that seem to demand this triunity of God. You see, the reality is, if you really think about the different pictures of God, and let's just take, we won't even deal with the polytheistic idea of multiple gods, but let's just take the Unitarian idea of, of one God who is an absolute being with no plurality whatsoever. That's the God of Judaism. That's the God of Islam. That is the God of the Unitarians, the God of the deist, the God of the theist. But let's think about that. Two things that seem to demand the triunity of God, and before I mention those two things in closing, remember that whatever God is presently, he has always been. So God doesn't change. So it wasn't like at one point he was one way and then he you know, morphed into something else at a future point to accommodate whatever needed to be accommodated. No. Two things, and I'm going to finish in just two minutes. God as personal, meaning knowable and relational. You see, if there is no trinity then there were no interpersonal relationships within the being of God before creation. And without personal relationships, it's difficult to see how God could genuinely be personal. You see what I mean? You know, you could, you could try to say that God is personal, but how could that be a reality if God has always been forever? And there were no relationships. So it seems to me, if God is personal and always has been personal, it really demands that there be other persons within the divine nature for him to be personal with. But secondly, our understanding of God is love. Apart from the doctrine of the Trinity, the idea of God being love is really, if if you think about it, it really is... It seems to be an impossibility. You see, because love must have an object. Love must have an object. And if God was solely an absolute one from all eternity, then how could you possibly say God is love? For all eternity, he has no object to love. How could something be love if there's no object to love? And so the doctrine of God as triune allows for love to flow eternally among the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So you see, now everybody wants God to be a God of love, but only the the biblical God, only the the God revealed in the pages of Scripture and in the New Testament with the, the clear revelation, this is the only God that really could be a God of love because of his triune nature. And I'll close with this quote from Francis Schaeffer. He said this. He said, if God were not a trinity... He would not be love, and I would still be an agnostic.
For the month of August, Back to Basics Radio is offering a book titled Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon. Would the world be better off without religion? Does religion really poison everything? Many people today believe the world would indeed be better off without religion, and Christianity would be at the top of the list for most. In his book, Bullies and Saints, John Dixon considers these questions through the lens of Christian history. He examines the different periods of the Christian church, from its founding in antiquity to the Middle Ages, the 20th century, and what we can learn from history today. This book will challenge your thinking about the Christian church that is worse and better than you ever imagined. So we encourage you to call us right now at 1-800-733-6443 or visit us online at backtobasicsradio.com to order Bullies and Saints, an honest look at the good and evil of Christian history by John Dixon. And when you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you this book as our way to say thank you. We do appreciate your generous support of this ministry. We'd also like to remind you that all of our other resources are waiting for you at backtobasicsradio.com or by calling our request line at 1-800-733-6443. That's 1-800-733-6443. Our desire is to encourage you in your daily walk with God. We'll continue tomorrow with more valuable insights from Pastor Brian as we study together in the book of Genesis. Back to Basics is the preaching and teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.